Hey there, and welcome to the podcast for Tuesday, November 17th. Coming up, we talk to the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario, who is calling out the province for not doing enough when it comes to her seniors and long-term care. And the big news of the day, should schools be closed for an extended winter break to try to flatten the curve here in the province of Ontario? All of that coming up next here in the pod. Okay, last count, we've got at least 100 long-term care homes in the province now in outbreak in the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. The latest to sound the COVID alarm, Doris Greenspun is the RNAO's Chief Executive Officer and joins us now for more on this here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Doris, good afternoon. Appreciate your time. Good afternoon, Jeff, and thanks for having us. Okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being extremely concerned, the most concerned, uh, where is your concern level right now? 25. Wow. 25, and we had a press conference. First of all, let me tell you, I met over a week ago, uh, last week on Monday, with uh, the Premier face-to-face. He asked, he calls me, I call him, but this time we met in person. He was there, Christine Elliott, the Minister of Health, was there. We had a lengthy discussion about the situation in long-term care, including the fact that the government has moved zero percent on the issue of staffing in long-term care homes. Uh, We have asked for the long-term care basic care guarantee for over two years. Uh, Minister Fullerton still says she's studying the study of the study. You heard the commissioner saying we don't need to study anything, we need to move into action. Minister Fullerton, who was not at the meeting, I'm not sure why, but she was not there, uh, she said she will bring a plan in December. Well, uh, Jeff, this is not a Christmas gift. This is the life of seniors. This is the life of residents. This is their families that are in anguish, and this is staff that are hanging by the nails to continue to provide care. Uh, They are exhausted. They are overwhelmed. And the hospitals, as you know, are getting fuller and fuller, so they cannot support as the plan, quote-unquote, was. So we asked several things on on Friday in a press conference that we had following my meeting with the Premier. We gave it five days, but given that nothing moved, we had a press conference. First of all, a complete lockdown for 28 days in Toronto and other red zones, except for essential services and schools, because the virus is getting out of control. Look in Toronto. Sorry to interrupt, Doris, but I just want to be clear on this uh, point. When you say complete lockdown, you mean the entire city of uh, Toronto, just not the lockdown of long-term care? We have been asking, uh, Jeff, that we need the issue of the bars and the restaurants and all of that. We ask in September for that. And Minister Elliott says, said in the presser today that we are moving fast. No, we are not. If we had in September done only outside, so bars like in Europe, they're doing them outside. The weather was beautiful. If we had done restaurants, only pickup or delivery, uh, et cetera, gyms, same story. They have gone virtual in Europe. We would have suffocated this virus. It's called... It's called now the COVID zero, and many of us are joining the COVID zero, like New Zealand, Australia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we talked at length about that on the show uh, yesterday, Doris, about uh, zero COVID or COVID uh, zero. And uh, I wanted to ask you, why exactly do you believe that we're seeing the numbers go up once again in long-term care to the point where it is just uh, over-the-top uh, concerning? Well, where are the gaps? Why is this happening again? 
because the spread in the community is going rampant. Almost 600 in Toronto today, right? Rampant, going rampant. And when the spread in the community is so large, you cannot control the virus getting into nursing homes. And as you know, once it gets in the nursing homes, it's how they deal with that. How they deal with that is the testing that the Premier acknowledged today is not going 100% in terms of quickly response. Uh, rapid testing we still don't have. And then, of course, is how else they deal with that. And if you look, some of the old structures, which most of them fall in the for-profit sector, um, which, by the way, pocketed $1.5 billion, just three companies, three chains this, this year uh, for shareholders. But those, in those homes, in many of them, you still have three, four people per room when that's prohibited, right? Mm -hmm. Only two. So decrowding, that's the other piece that we asked on Friday, urgently decrowding nursing homes with residents in multiple occupancy rooms that are more than to people, because that is like a fire putting gasoline on top. Yeah, let me ask you, I want to drill down on this specifically, if we can. I mean, it just takes one wrong turn, right? A personal support worker is maybe just getting groceries uh, for themselves and gets contact traced or comes in contact with somebody and then goes to work. Is the problem that we don't have rapid testing for those PSWs right now? And how often are they getting tested? Is it every 14 well, days with the nasal swab? They're supposed to get tested tested once, twice a week. They actually are not. Uh, the tests sometimes come within two, three days. Sometimes they come after a week. The premier acknowledged that his own wife, had Carla, had this issue of over a week to get the result. So it's multiple. And layer to that, that this is not only ageism, the way we are dealing by not giving the resources of staffing to nursing homes, as we have been asking for years and, and now desperately asking. It's also discrimination against the workers. The PSWs you are referring to are mainly from actually racialized communities. So it's pure discrimination against them. Um, many of them that work for agencies, believe it or not, are still working in two, three places because they work for an agency to make a living instead of working full-time in a home. So it's, it's, it's things that we could prevent if we wanted to prevent. That's why when the premier, and I said to the premier the other day, I know he cares deeply, he says that, but honestly he's wearing off even on me, the statement, because mm -hmm. only the actions will change really the faith and reality of long-term care residents, their families, and the staff struggling there. Yeah, Doris, I got less than a minute, but I wanted to ask you about Minister Fullerton. You mentioned her a second ago. Have you lost faith in the minister to handle this? Well, I have said for a long time that that ministry never should have existed, that Ministry of Health is Ministry of Health. Christine Elliott should have never given up long-term care because seniors and long-term care is part of health care. So this issue of having two ministries is, is simply, it cannot work. It's unworkable. And also she's not moving. She's studying the study of the studies. She needs to move with action. All right. We will leave it there for now, but obviously we will continue on this file, continue on this story. Doris, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having us, Jeff. Be well. That is Doris Greenspun. She is the Chief Executive Officer of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. And an interesting announcement from President-elect Joe Biden yesterday. 
Biden pushing a Buy American message, saying that government contracts must read Buy American before being approved. That's got some folks here north of the border a little nervous. What does this message exactly mean for us here in Canada? Let's ask Ian Lee. He's with the Sprott School of Business, of course, at the University of Ottawa and joins us uh, now, or sorry, at Carleton University and joins us now from Ottawa here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Ian, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for inviting me. Well, thanks for being here as always. Uh, just how concerned should the Canadian government, Canadian business be about this uh, signal from Joe Biden? Um, uh, they should be extremely concerned. Um, I've been saying this for for years. I'm not trying to tell you I'm more clever than anybody else. All one has to do, and most people have busy lives. I understand that. But if you if one takes the time to go and read speeches by people like um, uh, like uh, uh, Biden, but not just Biden. <laughs> you listen to Nancy Pelosi. You listen to some of the Democratic Congress people, men and women. Um, they're they have become, in the last really four years, much more protectionist than they were before. There's always been a streak of protectionism in the U.S. Congress. It was there in the Democratic Party, my goodness, all the way back to the days of uh, when Bill Clinton got the NAFTA won, the first year, first version of NAFTA passed. Uh, his own caucus voted against it. It only went through because of the Republicans. But what changed was Trump of being elected in 2016 and and the Rust Belt states voting for Trump. And I'm talking Pennsylvania and Ohio and Michigan. I drove through there in 2016 to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and always saw where Trump signs everywhere. It was just incredible. Through upstate New York, upstate Pennsylvania, and then on into Ohio. I, we hardly saw any Hillary signs. It was incredible. Well, Joe Biden is a smart politician. He's learned this. And if you look at his comments today, they're unequivocal. There's no ambiguity. From autos to our stockpiles, we're going to buy American, end quote. That's Joe Biden today. There's no, well, except for friends this, and I don't know if it's a sunny, you know, a shiny, uh, sunny day, we might do something different. There's no ambiguity. And, uh, and one more point, Jeff. I, I think that we have made, in Canada, many, many Canadians have mis- radically misunderstood Joe Biden. They see Joe Biden and, and Justin Trudeau as simpatico. You know, very, very much on the same page. And I, I don't believe that, I never believed they were. Uh, Joe Biden is a very, very centrist Democratic liberal. What in Canada we would call a blue liberal, like a John Manley, someone like that. Justin Trudeau has much more in common, and I say this very seriously, much more in common with, uh, with the, uh, the, 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 the more progressive wing of the uh, Democratic Party, such as Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. If you look at their speeches and put them beside Justin Trudeau's and then put Biden's beside it, I'm telling you, Justin Trudeau is much more, is much more simpatico with Elizabeth Warren and with uh, the views of Elizabeth Warren. I'm not saying they're personal friends. That's not the point. But they're more simpatico about everything, the carbon tax and you know, getting rid of fossil fuels and, and that sort of thing, uh, and, uh, and less so with Biden. Biden is going to be disappoint a lot of Canadians who think he is really just a kinder, warmer version of Elizabeth Warren or Justin Trudeau or Bernie Sanders, and he's not. Okay, so you don't necessarily think that the election of a Joe Biden is a good news uh, for Canada, particularly when it comes to business, because I think there's a lot of thought out there that uh, maybe that uh, we would return to, uh, you know, better relations with our neighbors to the south. 
it will be better in the sense if we, he's not going to insult us all the time as, as Trump did. So all the, the, the temperature, the heat, the rhetoric will be gone. But I'm, if we set that aside and say, okay, what about the actual substance of the relationship? And and I am suggesting very clearly, very the, the record suggests very clearly that they're going to, and uh, Biden is going to look after the interests of the United States. And he also knows, yes, he won the election. Let's be no mistake about that. There's, I'm not one of those foolish people down there denying that he won. Of course he won, but he did not win a landslide. And people say, what do you mean he won by? Four million votes. Winning by two or three percent is not defined as a landslide in the United States. It's winning by sixty percent to forty percent, and it was a very close election. And they did not win the Senate. I don't think they're going to win the Senate. The Democrats, the Republicans, are going to win the two seats in Georgia, and they did not. They the, the Democrats did not pick up seats in the House. They lost somewhere between six and ten seats, and Biden understands what the voters are saying. Okay, we do not want radical left. Well, let me ask you this then, uh, as an economist, uh, give us your view, because I think a lot of the protectionist uh, thinking uh, that uh, sounds as if Biden is going to continue with here, as you've uh, laid out, I mean, is that message any different, do you think, Ian, than the message we get from Premier Ford when it comes to buy Canada, buy Ontario? We've heard that time and time again over the last uh, few months, uh, you know, buy Ontario. So uh, have have things kind of changed from uh, a thought of us being a world economy to now being more protectionist? protectionist, do you think, south of the border and maybe even here in Canada now? Jeff, you've asked a very important question. And we have tried to, I mean, I, not just Premier Ford, but yes, Premier Ford, I'll, I agree with you. We've been doing this. Well, we want to protect our economy. We don't want American Airlines to come in and buy up Canadian Airlines. We don't want American, you know, telecom coming in here, uh, cell phone companies, Verizon or ATT. No, 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 they can't come in. We don't want American milk. And so we practice that. And we're saying, but we want open access to their market because it's so large. And the Americans are finally no longer going along with that. But we're doing the same game. And and sooner or later, I think we might even have to go to a third NAFTA. I, I say that seriously. Once we realize we are going to be on the short end of the stick, we, Canada, are going to be losing. If we get down to we're going to protect ourselves against the Americans, they're, and they're going to protect themselves against us, they're ten times bigger than we are. We need them. I'll say something that won't make some of your listeners happy. We need the Americans a lot more than the Americans need Canada. So you believe that protectionism, sorry, Ian, is it here to stay? And uh, if so, where does that put uh, Canada being one of the smaller countries and smaller marketplaces? In not a good position. That's why I'm, I'm not trying to say let's reinvent the world and reinvent the WTO. I, I hope that Mr. Trudeau and his ministers realize that they need, it's in our interest to go back, and I said a NAFTA 3. I mean by that, I'm not saying we should ask the Americans to open up to the world. Forget that. That's the rest of the world's problem. How about just looking after ourselves vis-a-vis the states, and we are one of the important, there's only three countries in NAFTA, right? Mexico, U.S., and Canada. We should be trying to do, perhaps doing some kind of a bilateral deal with the states, whether it's called a treaty, whether it's called an understanding, a memoranda, I don't care, where we, uh, we're going to have to give things up to get what we want, which is unimpeded access to the U.S. economy, or they're going to shut us out with their protectionism on everything from sourcing of steel to aluminum, you name it. And we're going to have to negotiate something 
with the Americans. I don't know what. I'm not there at the cabinet, obviously, but we're going to have to give something up if we want to demand and obtain full, complete access for all of our, for example, manufacturing in southern Ontario. All right. Do you think that this is a high priority? Should it be like the number one priority of the uh, Trudeau uh, government when it comes to dealing with the incoming administration? Yes. I've, I've often said, and this is no, I think many people say this, but I'll say it again, uh, the prime minister has two things on his job description. I don't care what prime minister, any prime minister, all prime ministers of Canada, don't screw up Quebec and have them separate on your watch. And absolutely, number two, don't mess up the relationship with the United States. We export two-thirds of the totality of all our exports go to one country called the USA. And it is about one-third of our GDP, our incomes, because GDP is all the salaries and all the wages and all the incomes. So we are absolutely dependent, and we've become more integrated in the last 30, 40 years. So those people dreaming about, well, we're going to have a, a new relationship with China and Asia, and they're going to be the, replace the United States, are delusional. The United States is right next door. 90% of Canadians live within 150 kilometers of the U.S. border. They speak English. We speak English. And we are more tightly integrated because of the second uh, of NAFTA and, and the fact that we've been side by side for 150 years. So they are the country we should be focused on like a laser beam to ensure access for because otherwise we're going to be on the short end uh, for many many industries that export most of their stuff to the u.s all right ian lee from carlton university ian appreciate the time and the perspective thanks so much for joining us thanks very much jeff well, education minister stephen lecce meeting with the health table discussing the possibility of closing schools for an extended winter break to try and flatten ontario's covid curve Merritt Stiles is the education critic for the NDP and joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Merritt, good afternoon. Thanks for your time. Good afternoon. It's great to be here. All right. Is it time to close the schools? Well, uh, it sounds like the minister is is expecting to make an announcement on that in the next one or two weeks. Um, And that there is some consideration, clearly, he's indicating, given to shuttering schools before or after the the holiday break. Um, But we maintain, and I maintain still, uh, like a lot of parents and and everybody out there, you know, the objective has to be to try to keep our schools open. But the best way to do that is still going to be to try to find a way to reduce the class sizes. All right. Can that be done, though, at this point in uh, mid-session, if you will? We're midway through the uh, school year. I mean, is that something we can really uh, pivot, uh, I mean, that quickly on? Yeah. I mean, what we're seeing happening, not just here in the GTA, but across the province, is that uh, still school boards are ending up collapsing class sizes. So they're, they're, they're taking bigger classes, and as students continue to move out or online, they're, they're, they're collapsing these smaller classes together and making large class sizes. And so there's a lot of disruption happening out there uh, in our communities, in our schools, for families and teachers and students. And we could stop that right now. I mean, the, the, we know the Financial Accountability Office has said the government is sending on $9.3 billion in COVID relief dollars that they haven't spent yet. Um, there's, there's ways we could be supporting our classrooms so that we don't end up 
creating these even bigger classrooms. All right. Is there, I mean, money is one thing, but is there enough teachers in the pipeline, enough staff available to do the, to do this story, and enough space, enough square footage as well? Because obviously if you shrink the classroom sizes, uh, you're going to need more classroom space. Well, what we do know is that classrooms have actually been shuttered in many schools. Even here in, in Toronto, we've seen lots of school classrooms closed. Um, so, so yes, in fact, there is definitely room to do it. Um, the, the question of whether there are enough teachers, well, the government was really behind the eight ball on this, I have to say. I mean, they should have been working on it from, you know, April on. But, but there is some effort going on to, to try to recruit more teachers, to make it easier for student teachers to be working in our schools. Lots of stuff happening out there. But look, at this point, the most important thing we can do is try to keep those classrooms open safely. And safely means, and this is according to all the experts out there um, in education and public health, means that we need to be able to provide the distance between them. So it's going to be really, really important. And, you know, we are still seeing about 100 more teachers, students, and education workers getting sick with COVID every single day. So we need to, we need to act quickly. Uh, we need to do it now. And, and we need to attach that condition to anything that the government's talking about right now. Joined by Merritt Stiles, NDP education critic. Uh, Merritt, there has been some talk about extending the holiday break uh, into January just because of the fear of families perhaps uh, getting together, maybe not following the uh, COVID protocols and rules. And, of course, uh, we know that people can be asymptomatic for a couple of weeks. Uh, Would you, would the NDP be in favor of that? Does that make sense to not rush a return to the classroom on the back end of uh, Christmas and the holidays? Well, I know that some of the directors of education in the school boards are calling for this or, or looking for some some advice on this. Um, I'm I'm open certainly to hearing what public health experts are going to recommend. And, and I, you know, I, I know parents are scared too, right? Parents are scared. Uh, parents are keeping kids home right now because they're worried that school isn't safe enough for them. So I think it is important that we look at all these options. But at the end of the day, we've got to know: Are we actually sending our children back into a safer environment in January, whenever they come? back. And that's where I keep focusing on smaller class sizes. You know, Mr. Lecce seems to be taking a bit of a victory lap right now. He keeps comparing us to jurisdictions outside of Canada. But, you know, parents and kids are hurting and and they're worried. And I don't think it's time to to be declaring victory yet. We've got a long road ahead. All right. If the decision of the health table, Merritt, is to close the classrooms for any period of uh, time, does Mr. Lecce owe it to parents to make that decision sooner rather than later? And how much lead time do families do do parents need because obviously this will uh, upend the schedules and lives of uh, many families 100 percent. i mean we people need to know as soon as they can i mean we've all been through so much over the last six months and families of course around the holiday season we're all looking to holidays that are not going to be like we normally have them it's going to be really different it's there's already a lot of anxiety around that so i think parents are owed um that that notice as well as the education workers because it may be that they're just they're working more virtually or online for a few weeks it may not be holiday time per se and then the education workers also need to be able to prepare for that because it's very different as we've seen to to pivot over to online teaching all right Merritt styles with the ontario ndp Merritt, appreciate the time as always thanks so much my pleasure thanks so much and just a reminder that you can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 Eastern. Just tune in at 640toronto.com. Also, find us on Spotify, search my name, Jeff MacArthur, or download us wherever you find your favorite podcasts.